Welcome to the Paragol Podcast. This is Jared Pickney, and today I am joined by one of the owners of the Juniper Tree Meadery. I'm with Lynn Childers. Lynn, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's my pleasure, Jared. So first time we've had an opportunity to meet. I'm very excited to learn about what you're doing at Juniper Tree. I've heard great things about it. Um, before we talk about your business, um, tell me this. Are you from Paragold? No. Uh, my wife and I are from Jonesboro. Okay. Born and raised? My wife was born in Jonesboro, so she's long time. I was actually a transplanted Yankee from Illinois, but I've, uh, I've been in Arkansas for over 40 years now. Okay, so it's become home. It, oh, it's absolutely home. So tell me this. First off, for those that don't know, what is Juniper Tree Meadery? Uh, we are, if you're not familiar with the word mead or meadery, uh, that's with a D, not mm-hmm. with a T. We're not a butcher shop. <laughs> Uh, we are like a winery or a beer brewery, but we make mead, which is simply booze made out of honey. So we ferment honey as our primary fermentable ingredient. It's incredible. So when did you start doing that? Uh, mead in particular, I started about five years ago, uh, but I have a long 30-year-plus history of making wine. Wow. How did you get into making wine? <clears throat> well, I was working on a master's degree at Arkansas State University in biology. I was taking a microbiology class. We were studying yeast and uh, what they could do. And uh, we had a mulberry tree in the front yard. Uh, This would have been about 1990 or 91. And that mulberry tree, the branches were breaking because of the fruit that was on it that year. And I said, you know what? I've got an idea. Uh, of course, this is back before Google, uh, yeah, yeah. before you could learn anything on just YouTube. Just go YouTube it, yeah. YouTube it. Uh, so anyway, we just uh, crushed a lot of mulberries, uh, probably 10 gallons of mulberries. And uh, we had baker's yeast where my wife made homemade bread and threw that in there and some sugar. And I made my first batch of home brew, probably about 1991. Wow. Uh, and, you know, when you make it yourself, it doesn't. It may not have been very good, but we drank it all, and all my friends drank it. So, Did you think it tasted amazing, though? Because you made it yourself. Was there a part that was like, this is incredible? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I tell people that. We go, we garden, and I always tell people, like, when you go through the process of making something, mm-hmm. when you put your blood, sweat, and tears into it, it always tastes sweeter to the person who grew it or made it. it yeah, especially, especially at first. <laughs> this, this was very dry and uh, probably relatively stout mulberry wine. <laughs> Uh, but that, that began a hobby that has, I've uh, continued to do through the years. And, uh, over the years, it was a hobby that kind of grew out of control, mm-hmm. uh, not in drinking it, but in making it. I just love the biology of it. Uh, it was, it's just fascinating. To so me explain that to me, the, 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 the fascination behind the biology of it. Like just let me into your mind for a second as you're creating this. Well, fermentation requires yeast, uh, at least for our processes, it requires yeast. And the yeast are little microscopic organisms that eat the sugars from grapes or from, uh, in our case, from honey. And in their biology, they convert that yeast into two waste products, which is alcohol and carbon dioxide. So the carbon dioxide boils off, it bubbles and gets foamy and dissipates in the air, uh, the alcohol is left behind. So All because of the yeast? Yeah, the yeast, the yeast do it all. Wow, I had no idea. I've never made my own wine. 
Do you make your own beer too? I mean, I know you do the beer with the we, juniper tree, but before this, were you made were you brewing your own beer before the honey? Uh, not not as much. I, I mainly made wine, but but yes, I have brewed beer beforehand, and and now at our business, we actually do both. Uh, so all of our beers do have honey in them. Uh, most of them are grain free and are not true beers in that sense uh, because they don't have malt barley or wheat. So or they're gluten free, is what you mean? Gluten free. Uh, most everything on our board is. We always will have one or two, sometimes three true beers that are brewed just like a regular beer, but then we add honey to them. So, so how did you transition to going from berries right to honey? Uh, well, I kind of discovered the history of mead. Uh, that's another thing that fascinates me in addition to the biology is the history. Uh, and I'm, I'm a history buff. Yeah. And uh, mead is the oldest fermented beverage known to man. In fact, I did it, not it, know that. it predates written history. When they first started recording history, people had already been drinking mead for a long time. Who was it? Like, where did it originate? Uh, literally worldwide on every continent, uh, worldwide on every continent, mostly though, you know, from my knowledge and the history that I've read, it, it's, it's very much a European, Northern European thing, but, but they did this in Africa as well. They did it in Asia. Uh, they did it in North America and South America, uh, to a lesser degree. What made it, uh, lose popularity? Uh, well, I can speak about the Middle Ages in Europe, and for instance, in England, uh, Queen Anne in England, mead was her drink of choice, and there's a recipe uh, named the Queen Anne, a recipe with herbs and stuff. But it was when they started uh, more wholesale trade with Southern Europe, uh, in particular Italy and Greece, where there were great vineyards in the Mediterranean Mm -hmm. climates, and they had trade routes that they could more effectively transport wine mm-hmm. north. Wine displaced mead as the drink of choice. Also, they began to uh, cultivate and hybridize grape species that would grow farther north in the more uh, the climates that were more uh, wetter and colder. Yeah, it's all about the profit, right? Yeah, yes, it's all about the profit. So it, it kind of became a thing in the Middle Ages, I think in the 1500s, the 16th century, when wine began to displace mead as the drink of choice in Northern Europe. Uh, so by the time our United States were settled, you know, in the colonies, wine and hard liquor, especially in America, was the drink of choice. Yeah, so, sure. so North America has never had a long-standing history of mead to go back to. Uh, some of the natives might have had some accidentally when they raided a a beehive that had got rained on and fermented naturally, hmm. uh, but they weren't they weren't making it wholesale. So mead is a relatively new experience here in the Western Hemisphere, but not in uh, the Old World. In sure. the Old World, it was initially their drink of choice, and it's really making a renaissance now. So excuse my ignorance. I made like a, maybe a D in biology. Um, if you said like if some of the Native Americans came across a hive that had been rained on and fermented naturally, they would drink it. How did that happen apart from yeast? Well, uh, it it did happen with yeast, but it's wild yeast. Uh, there's yeast uh, floating in the air in this room, and you're breathing it right now. I had no idea. Do you know that, Chris? Uh, yeah, I did. Okay. 
Yeah, right. yeast, bacteria, all kinds of uh, little microorganisms in their spore form, which is when they're largely dehydrated, they're not active, and they have a heavy shell that allows them to survive until they land on something moist. And then when they land on something moist, they become rehydrated and then active. Uh, and they don't require a partner for sexual uh, mm-hmm. duplication because they have binary fission. They duplicate themselves. That's fascinating, um, man. It's crazy. <laughs> The, I told you I got a degree in biology. So. <laughs> Just wired into the the fabric of creation, man. You didn't know we were going to be talking about reproduction. When we talk about <laughs> yeah, that's why. I, I literally, that's why I told you. Like when we yeah. start these podcasts, I never know where they're going to go. Okay. And it's, I'm, I'm naturally fascinated by this. And so, ha, before you started studying the history of metery, like had you uh, visited one yourself, or like what started first? Like you had visited a metery, and then you're like, I want to know the history behind it, or you learn the history, and then you're like, I'm going to start one. Uh, it, w- it would have been the history first. Huh. It would. It would have been the history first. Uh, and, the, and, you know, with the hobby, I told you it was a hobby that kind of grew out of control. You're always looking for new things to try, new recipes, new techniques, because it's just so much fun. And uh, just out of curiosity, how things work. And so I probably made my first batch of meat about five years ago. But again, it, it came from, at that time, over 25 years of making wine. Uh, and then when we got serious about opening up our own business, we actually thought about uh, planting muscadine vineyards and opening up uh, a winery, a, you know, a true mm-hmm. traditional winery like they have out in northwest Arkansas and mm-hmm. some other places in Arkansas. Um, but the cost, the logistics of planting muscadine vineyards – and waiting the years it would take for them to grow and produce and the money that would be involved in that, uh, it was a losing proposition for us, financially anyway. That that was never going to work because you can, out west, you can go into convenience stores and buy some of the local muscadine wines out there for 7 or $8 a bottle. Well, there's, there is no way that you could plant a vineyard here and make, sure. that, make that work and compete with that. Absolutely. But uh, we found out when we were discussing opening a business and getting a permit to do this, we found out, we learned that Mead uh, has been for probably the last five years, 10 years maybe, the fastest growing craft beverage market in America. Wow. So like craft beer was 20 years ago, like yeah. craft whiskey has been for some time. Sure. Mead uh, it right now is the fastest growing craft beverage market. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, I, I can't give you a definitive answer, but I can offer some suggestions. Uh, I think some of it has to do with uh, media, with movies, with series like the Viking series. Mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, uh, different series that, that are uh, highlighting that, that are yeah. highlighting drinking meat, and so people are discovering it that way. I also know uh, some of our clientele are gamers, mm-hmm. people who are really into gaming, people who are re- really into cosplay. Why is that? Well, they're, but their their games they play a lot of their games are fantasy games, and it will feature meat in the Interesting. game. Interesting. So we will have a lot of times young people that come in, and when I say young people, I mean the twenty something crowd. Incredible. They will come in on a Friday 
and they'll buy, pick up two growlers or a bottle or two of mead because they're going to a party where they're going to play mm-hmm. fantasy games on the computer all weekend long, but they want to drink mead while they do it. It's unbelievable how so, much media drives yeah. so much of the economy. The, the first time I came out there, that was over a year ago, and it was a little slow, and I was like, oh, you guys pick up later? And you're like, well, we were already busy. Uh, all of our main clientele came and got their growlers, and they went to a Comic-Con yeah. in Memphis <laughs> or something like that. I was like, oh, I didn't know that was your clientele. But What is a growler? Excuse my ignorance. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I was ignorant about that yeah. <laughs> until not very long ago, you know, years ago. But uh, a growler is a half-gallon jug that we fill it up with beer. Our, our on-tap products, if you want to take them home, they go out in a half-gallon jug. We don't can beer in 12-ounce cans or 12-ounce bottles. So uh, we directly out of the tap will fill out fill up a half gallon growler it's got a cap on it and you can take that home so very nice we also have a 32 ounce that's called a mini growler but a lot of people for those lightweights yeah so the people that come in and and i kind of have a sense they're not going to know what a growler is i say we got half gallon jugs (laughs) (laughs) that's a much more southern (laughs) way of putting it what uh what is the alcohol content in these beverages uh, we have quite a range because we do beer and wine. Uh, our lowest beer we've served, I think, under 5% alcohol. Uh, but we've got a couple of bruiser wines that are at 18%. Okay. So. so walk me through kind of how you started the business side of things. Like what did you have to have in place uh, to kind of get it going. You don't have to go into all the details, but I mean, I'm just, here's why I'm asking this question. I'm always interested in how something goes from being just like an idea. Everybody's got ideas, right? Mm-hmm. To actually being implemented into this real thing. So um, walk me through what you think was essential to it going from idea in your head to opening your doors to your first customer. Oh, wow. You're going to traumatize me. Uh, <laughs> yeah i figured it'd be a journey it's there's there's a logical sequence of entities that you need to go through uh the first thing we did was uh well the first thing we did was we started an llc in the name juniper tree meadery so that and and then we uh registered it with the ttb which that's the federal uh, organization that regulates alcohol production and sales. Um, we started looking for a place to lease. Uh, financially, it would have made more sense to lease a restaurant-type area here in Perigold. Since we're from Jonesboro, that is a dry county. We weren't going to be able to do mm-hmm. it there. Uh, with what we do, we distribute and sell packages out the door there's no kind of permit that would allow us to do that in Craighead County so we decided to look for a place as we were driving around we found the location that we purchased and where we're at which is where for those that don't know it is on the west side of town on highway 358 otherwise known as Finch Road uh, just west of where the new 412 bypass goes around town Uh, we saw this place for sale by owner and we did not have intentions to buy. We were wanting to lease a place, and it would have made more financial sense, and it would have been less of a financial risk to lease. But this place just captured our imagination, and it was just like what we wanted for the vibe. Mm-hmm. So, so we purchased the property. That had been the next step. Um, 
And then we started dealing with uh, Arkansas's organization, ABC, the Alcoholic Beverage Control. Uh, there's hoops to jump through there. Then we had to do a large remodeling project. And uh, then probably the thing that uh, took the longest for us was dealing with the health department, getting the health department to sign off, oh, yeah. off on our building. And there were many hoops to jump through on that. I'm sure. Um, but it's an ongoing process dealing with the TTB. And uh, now the, the, the ABC, now that we've got our permit with Arkansas, we've got, they've, they've been very easy to deal with. They're very responsive, and I really appreciate them very much. Uh, some of the issues dealing with the federal government can make you pull out your hair, like getting a label approved that they will allow you to put on your bottle, that you, you have no idea the frustration that can be trying what to satisfy. Are they, what do they want on it? Well, it's it's mostly what they won't allow on it. Uh, for instance, uh, we've got a, a wine that won a silver medal last year in a national competition. We call it Honey Zen. I have that at my home. It's good. <laughs> it's a 50-50 blend of our not-too-sweet mead and red Zinfandel grapes. Uh, and we source the grapes from California, from old vine Zinfandel vineyards. So it's, they're very high-quality Zinfandel grapes. Well, drinkers of wine uh, that are familiar with wine, they know what Zinfandel is. They know what the taste notes of Zinfandel are. It's very, it's very unique. It's spicy. It has uh, uh, raspberry and blackberry taste notes. And so, it uh, once again, this won a silver medal. Uh, we were already distributing this, and then the TTB said we can't call it Honey Zen. And on the back label, we couldn't tell people that we put Zinfandel in it. Why? Well, because the wine uh, makers claim that name for themselves and won't allow mead makers to use it. Oh, wow. So, like a trademark thing almost? Yeah, yeah, like oh. a trademark. And so Zen, we, we, uh, we went to the... TTB and said, okay, what if we spelled it Honey Zen, Z-Y-N-N-E? Uh, you know, spelled it a crazy way. And then people would still understand what, what it is. You know, they'd pick up and they said, nope, it's too close. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so we actually, we went back and forth with them over that single label for over a month. And we finally, and, and so they wanted us to name it some other name that wouldn't relate. And on the back, instead of saying it's made with uh, mead and Zinfandel, they would have required us to say with uh, mead and grape wine. Well, that doesn't sound nearly as uh, appetizing as mead with Zinfandel, you know, yeah, especially, especially for those who know what they're looking for. To yeah. those who know, yeah. 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 So, you know, grape wine. Well, what's that, Welch's? You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly that, right. Logan David? Yeah, exactly. No, no, this is very fine stuff. So uh, we finally found out after a month of going back and forth and pulling our hair out that what they said, well, we can grant you an exemption for the state of Arkansas as long as you never distribute it outside the state of Arkansas. Hmm. So they're allowing us to keep the name now of that one, but we can't sell it in Missouri or Tennessee. Uh, so, and if we do, that's actually a felony. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you get your, um, who's your honey supplier? Uh, 90% of what we use is from Culp's Honey, which is probably the largest local apiary in North uh, East Arkansas. They're out of uh, mm. Brooklyn. 
We do have uh, some unique recipes that require different honeys. Uh, so in smaller amounts, we use those. But the majority is all local honey. Have you noticed, I'm sure you have, the difference between like a spring harvest and a fall, <coughs> excuse me, a spring harvest and a fall harvest when it comes to your honey? I have, uh, but in our store, we're not getting that because uh, Sam Culp from, from Culp's Honey, uh, he has told me that they just harvest once a year. Okay. So uh, we were concerned about that earlier, and I do know that some larger meaderies that are buying 55-gallon barrels full of honey, they will buy spring and summer harvest uh, and mix them to try to standardize their flavor profile. But in our case, uh, our main honey provider is just harvesting once a year. So it's relatively... Uh, it's a relatively stable yeah, it's kind of a consistent. flavor palette. Yeah, yeah, I was curious about that. So I'm a beekeeper. And so, okay. I, um, yeah, there's a there's a big difference. I mean, your spring, for those who don't know, is going to be much lighter. Like it's a, I mean, it's going to be a very light color. And then your fall is going to be much earthier. It's darker. And so I prefer a, a fall, but most people wouldn't even taste the difference between the, the darker I've, and the lighter. I've uh, noticed that and experienced that with acquiring honey from other places. Uh, that the fall is got a lot more going on in the flavor profile. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, it's just what they're they're picking from. Is just it's yeah. Bees are fascinating. I don't know if you've ever studied bees in like your line of work and your love for bio, uh, biology, but uh, biology, biology. biology. That's <laughs> actually what I almost said. Yeah, and so I actually took uh, I actually took the beekeeping classes. Uh, probably three years ago, here in Paragould. Who gave who, who taught the class? Uh, it was a function of the extension service. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy who taught the class. He's from Little Rock. Okay. But it was at the community center here in Paragould. So I took those classes, which were two or three nights. Uh, and that's a regular question when we have new people come in. They invariably they ask, do you keep your bees? Or, or how many bees do you keep? Or where, where are your bees? And yeah. We, we don't. I would love to. I think that would be the neatest, coolest hobby. I would just love it. Oh, to. you would love it. I'm sure I would. I know I would. But, I mean, I don't. You don't have I, the time right now. I do not have time. It is no way. Yeah, Frank Williams, uh, who's at Scatter Creek, um, uh, he's a guy that's connected in the church that we're a part of, and he got me into beekeeping because he was like, dude, you need a hobby. Like, you've got too much <laughs> serious stuff going on. Like, get a hobby. Yeah. And I was like, Frank, man, like, I've never, I don't know anything about bees. Um, but man, they are absolutely fascinating. And so I think he's got like 26 hives. I only have one. And so I'm about to move to, to two. So that's so Chris, whenever I found out you were coming on, it's like, that's one of the things I got to find out is where he gets, where he gets his honey from. So you want to, <laughs> you want to supply him some honey and have a, yeah, a, I could a supply, wine called the preacher. Yeah. I could supply you like 30 pounds a year. So yeah, <laughs> we'll do the preacher, yeah, the preacher or the bishop. Oh, oh, yeah. better. I got a salad named the bishop. The so bishop yeah, we got to go to the, uh, yeah, kiss the cook did a, a salad after me called the bishop. And so I'm just waiting That's for somebody cool. else. Yeah. A good, a good wine. Uh, well, I wonder how much wine it takes to make one bottle like, or uh, how much honey, honey it makes to make one bottle. Like, well, well it, cause I'm sure there's other ingredients like water and, and stuff like that. Right. Like, yeah. You have, you have to add water. The, the yeast cannot rehydrate and function in the honey at its dehydrated natural consistency. So, Honey is is very stable. Honey honey will not ferment or spoil because it's too sweet. Yeah, it's amazing. It's too sweet, uh, and that's the reason why I mentioned earlier about uh, Native Americans might have found a, a turned over log that had a honeycomb in it and it got rained in, 
because the rain waters down the honey enough that the yeast or bacteria or whatever can actually hydrate and and eat it. So anyway, to answer your question, a wine strength mead with a typical wine alcohol strength, uh, that's generally, if you have a... If you if you have uh, five gallons of it, it's going to take about one and a quarter gallon of honey. Okay. So so about one part honey mm-hmm. to four parts finished product. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious um, for you guys, what is like big picture? Do you want to keep things as they are? Are you wanting to expand beyond what you're doing? Like are you satisfied with like, man, like this right here is exactly what we envisioned. It's where we want to be. Or are you already thinking beyond? Well, we're, we're actually undergoing uh, an expansion of sorts right now. We, we expanded our parking lot last week. That's excellent. About three times because our parking lot's been, if you've been there on a busy night, our parking lot's a handicap, especially if there's a food truck there. Yeah, 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 when there's a food truck there. Uh, so we've added, so we've got about three times the gravel that we did have, and we are in the process this morning, actually, of adding a second entrance that will be much wider. And then we're going to close our existing entrance and widen it, and those entrances are going to be concrete. So uh, this afternoon, after I leave here, I'm actually going to be ordering larger fermenters, Uh so we're not going to expand the building we're in for right now, uh, but we are going to get basically the largest equipment that we can fit in that small building. That's uh, great. What's so, your hours of operation? Uh, we're open Tuesday through Saturday. Uh, Tuesday through Friday, we open at 2. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we close at 8. Friday, we close at 10. Uh, Saturday, we're open 11 till 10. And another thing I was going to say about expansion is uh, we do have plans in the future, and by the future I mean uh, perhaps next year, uh, of building another building on our property next door to our existing building. Uh, It'll be a larger steel frame building. It will be a larger production room, so we can have significantly larger production capacity because uh, we're already distributing into 20 package stores in Arkansas, uh, I could easily double that wow. in a week's time. Mm. And we haven't started delivering to Missouri and Tennessee yet. Uh, but right now I can't make it any faster. We're, so we're selling everything that I make. So anyway, we are, awesome. going, we are going to build a larger building next door and uh, it will have a barrel room in it uh, that'll second as an event center for weddings and parties. Oh, nice. Uh, so the, there you go. those are some of the plans. Yeah. Love it. And so, yeah, you're talking about expanding. And so you have your little building there, which I feel like I've been out there a couple of times. It has a really, really cool vibe. And like, you got a little porch you can sit on. You got a pond to look out on. Like, do you want to talk more about what the feel is out there? Well, it's kind of a rural feel and we get this a lot of feedback from customers that come in. It's just very peaceful. It's yeah. very. It's just mm-hmm. a very. Uh, we call it very chill. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not. It's not a place that's going to give you a headache or 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 mess with your nerves. It's just a place to unwind. Uh, it's very peaceful. We have wildlife on the property. Um, I pour spent grain out 
uh, after I've brewed beer. It's not mm-hmm. alcoholic, but it's sweet and it's fun seeing what wildlife's going to come eat it because we the deer love it. Oh, that's <laughs> cool. So do the catfish in the pond. Uh, <laughs> it's, I've actually had catfish crawl onto the bank trying to get to the pile, so wow. that's fun to watch. We've uh, we're in the process of building a band shell mm-hmm. that faces our deck. And that uh, that's also going to serve as a platform. We've got a 20-foot inflatable movie screen. And we're going to periodically be showing outdoor movies. We've got the equipment to project movies. So we'll be what showing... What kind of movies are you going to show? Well, we were going what to... What pairs well with Meadery? <laughs> well, I'll give you a good one for that. Uh, but first of all, we, we pulled the plug and did not do it over the 4th of July weekend because it was so miserable hot, oh, if you yeah, remember. Yeah, for but sure. we were going to show the movie Jaws. Oh, I uh, just introduced my... We went to the beach last week, and I just okay. introduced my daughter to that uh, movie before we went to the beach. Oh, very smart. Uh, very <laughs> yeah. smart, yeah. yeah. So it, I, was, I was hoping I could have a mechanical uh, shark to have it out in the pond when we show Jaws. <laughs> but Jaws is, is a 4th of July movie, if you For remember sure. the original movie. Anyway, sure. it was so hot we pulled the plug because we didn't think anybody would want to sit out there and watch it. Uh, if we have some good weather in August, uh, I have the movie. It's a two-DVD set of the 1969 Woodstock Festival, music ah. festival. Oh, that'd be which, as I recall, was done in August. Uh, we have a product, uh, one of our wines, that we call Hippie Mead. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is our clever name. Uh, it's made with rose hips. So Hippie Mead. It's very good. Rose hips and uh, hibiscus. And so we may do something along the lines of show the Woodstock movie in August. If we can get a good weather weekend where it's not too hot or yeah. we don't get rained out. And show the Woodstock movie and maybe put hippie meat on sale for everybody that wears a tie-dyed shirt. Mm. That's cool. That's so, fun. Yeah. Just don't show the uh, – have you seen the documentary on Netflix, Trainwreck? Have you heard of it? I, I not, you know, no. The same guy who uh, pulled off Woodstock in the 60s tried to pull it off again. I think it was in the uh, – don't quote me on this, 2008, 2009, something like that. But anyways, it was – the it, he wanted to try to duplicate it didn't work out. With a bunch of frat boys that listened yeah. to like Limp Biscuit and Corn and yeah. like heavy, heavy, heavy metal. And it just became like, yeah, a, a very violent thing. That wasn't at all what he thought it was, and yeah. what it was actually in the 60s. And so, um, well, that's that's really, really cool. I'm going to have to get out there. My my wife and I actually celebrate our 14th anniversary tomorrow. So Happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah, might be a good good spot to check out so um lynn i love to move into some rapid fire questions if you're ready for it i'll, I'll do my best okay Shoot. fantastic so um i'm gonna pull them up here first question what is either the last show or movie that you watched or if you don't do tv what's the last book you read last movie i watched was the sound of freedom mm. i've heard that's intense it is it is. I, re- I recommend everybody see it. Yeah, my parents went and saw it. They recommended it as well. We're actually doing, uh, I mean, pardon me, because this is not a plug, because it'll be semi-private, but we're actually doing a fundraiser in October uh, to support uh, Hope Found, which is a organization, local organization, uh, that helps child trafficking, hmm. sexual trafficking. Hope Found? Hope Found. They're out of Jonesboro, but they serve all of Northeast Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, Man, I'm not even aware of, like, how much trafficking takes place um, here, but I've heard it does happen here. 
and it's, um, it's more than you think is what I hear. So. It, that's exactly right. I've heard the same thing. And so at some point, man, it might be good for us to even bring somebody on to raise awareness of that. Um, favorite band. Oh, this will be random with me because I love music. I'm same a, here. I'm a musician. I played in bands. What did uh, you play? I, I this is going to sound arrogant, but I play about everything. Really? Yeah. Do you have one instrument above the other? Uh, Which you would say you excel at or is more natural? I'm probably equally skilled on the guitar and keyboards. Very um, nice. That, but probably favorite band, uh, there's so many. But, I mean, I, I discovered Leonard Skinner when I was 15, and I've never quit loving them. Mm. Uh, but I, I also like some pretty esoteric stuff. I, I I was listening on the way up here to uh, the best of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. So mm-hmm. I've never listened to anything from Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Oh, well. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know what, what. Give me, give me a song by them. I'm sure they're song from them. Uh, <laughs> they're so <laughs> they're so pretentious with their concept albums. Um, mm-hmm. Let me just recommend the album trilogy. Trilogy, perfect. I love finding new music. And so I I was in a band in college. Okay. Um, Love finding new music. I mean, I've got a playlist for everything. In fact, I was just sharing with them on Saturday night. We all were eating ribs together, and I made a – when I turned 40, I made my top 40 of all time playlist. And it was very difficult Mm -hmm. because I'm kind of like you. It's like, man, how do you pick – on some of these songs and I change. It just depends on the day. The it week. does, man. It does. And so, yeah, I could talk a long time about music. It's a real passion. Of we mine. could, we could get into that. I'm sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, what is your favorite meal? Yikes. Um, in recent years and uh, today it's probably salmon mm-hmm. fish. I love some salmon. What are you going to, what are you going to pair the salmon with? Good question. Uh, we've got a drink. Uh, if you are not averse to peppers, chili peppers, mm-hmm. spice, we've got a drink called Current Distress. And it has black currants in it, goji berries, and ghost pepper. So it has a little bite. Uh, it's sweet on the front. Then the, the goji berries are a little tart. Then as it goes down, you get a little burn. But it goes very well with the glazed salmon. Wow. You can do it, aren't you, Chris? I asked that question for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Confession. Like, I've basically only had dessert wines. Okay. In my life. And that's all my wife would ever drink. She's like, if it's sweet and I can't taste much alcohol, I'll try it. Yeah. Well, Well, the current distress is 18%. So it's. That's not our thing. That's not going to be her (laughs) thing for sure. I've had a friend say, hey, so. Can you recommend for me like a like a sweet red wine? I was like, uh, yeah, grape juice. You don't <laughs> want wine. You don't want wine. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is on your nightstand right now? On my nightstand, <laughs> uh, a little uh, orange micro terror amplifier, guitar amplifier. Mm. Very nice. Like a miniature version of it. Is it operational? Oh yeah, it's yeah. Op- when I say mini, it's it's yeah. it's okay, a fifteen I, watt. It's big oh, enough so for it's actual, Yeah, okay. It's yeah. an actual head, but it's yeah. it, they call it the micro terror. It's just a small yeah. guitar amp. Yeah. So, is it there for decoration, or do you use it? No, I use it. Yeah, that's fun. Give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Uh, 
Well, my wife and I have developed a habit of uh, when we open the meadery, and usually I'm there early and she will come in right in time for us to open the doors. And anyway, we have a, I know this is going to sound hokey and cheesy, but we've got a little thing where we have our prosperity kiss. Mm -hmm. So we're, Mm. you know, I'm 60 years old. We've been married for 40 years now. Uh, But uh, anyway, we're still kind of silly when it comes to that. So what do you mean prosperity kiss? (laughs) Well, it's, it's our private joke that we, we embrace and we kiss and said, okay, if we don't do this, we're probably not going to have a good day. Mm. Uh, If we do this, we have a good day. And even if the sales are not especially good, you know, we know that we're, we're putting coin in the bank in terms of what we call love units. So anyway, that, that brings me joy that we've been married for 40 years and we still do that. So what do you, um, what advice would you give someone like me who's only 14 years in? What have you learned over 40 years of marriage? What have I learned? Probably the things they, the minister told you if they gave you any kind of counseling. But, you know, when you learn it by experience, it means more than just when somebody tells you, but that you're going to have to learn to give and to die a little bit. Because mm-hmm. uh, basically your life is blending with another human being. Yep. And that human being, you may see things eye to eye so many ways, but there's a lot of ways that you're going to have to give and take. So to do that with grace, uh, to, to realize that uh, if your significant other is something less, and you've been living together and there's something less than enjoyable to be with or something, if there may be, you know, that at some level you have some responsibility to yeah. that. Yes. And, and, and I do understand people that uh, they just can't make it work, and I do understand that. But uh, I want to look not first, the, that person's not making me happy anymore. I need to do something else. The first thing I've learned to look at is what what can I do differently that would affect this person in a positive way? How can I be a healing presence on this person? And my wife has learned that also. And so we, uh, you know, we're still human beings and we still have little issues. But I think when you realize you've got a responsibility, that person to love, to honor, cherish, you know, it's kind of like nurturing a flower. Yeah, man. Mm. So that's a beautiful answer. I mean, one of the ways that which we, I mean, a lot of people listen to this know that my day job is I'm a I'm a pastor, and when we do premarital counseling before we'll marry somebody, officiate a wedding, they they they're required to do premarital counseling with us. And one of the ways we talk about it is your marriage is a garden, and um, you need to have the right tools to go in there and to cultivate that garden. Mm-hmm. And some people, from my experience, the reason so many marriages fail is they, they have basically a stick and they want to make it work, but they literally don't have the right tools and know how to make it work. And um, I think what you said is like, that can really boil it down to like the idea of dying to yourself. And it sounds so, it, it sounds like there's no logic in that. Like how, and especially in our culture, cause it's like, I'm going to be happy. I've got to do whatever I want, whenever I want. No one should tell me anything different. Mm-hmm. But there's so much more joy to if you enter into a covenantal relationship with someone that says, I'm here, no matter what, I'm going to be to you as I should be, even if you're not as you should be to me. And if both people would take on that mentality, it does create something not perfect. Pretty incredible. 
So agreed. A key to success for me is take my wife to Juniper Tree Meadery. There you go. That's a great plug <laughs> for date nights. Yeah. Are you giving him a gift card for saying that? Uh, last question. What is one thing right now that you're deeply grateful for? I am deeply grateful. I mentioned my wife, so I'm not, <laughs> we'll take that for granted. But we have four children. Uh, mm. Two of them, three of them are grown, uh, but all four live in Jonesboro with us. Very nice. Uh, I know that so many people my age, their kids move on. Mm -hmm. And our kids, our daughters who are married and have families of their own, they have lived off, but they've all come back home. And so I don't take that for granted. To me, that's very special. Very nice. Lynn, this has been uh, very enjoyable. So glad we got a chance to meet. I look forward to going to Juniper Tree soon and uh, hopefully catching up some more. I feel there's a lot we could talk about. So thanks so much for coming on. Well, thank you, Jared. This has been a lot of fun. All right. And that was Lynn Childers. I found out as we were walking out the door mm -hmm. together, uh, he used to be a pastor. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Uh, yeah, it is, man. And so there was so much more, I guess, we could have been talking about oh. even on the air. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's the way it works. But uh, I love his fascination with biology because I know very little about the subject um, with bees. Mm -hmm. He's got that in common. Biology. Biology, if you will. And um, his love for music. So I could sit there and talk with, with Lynn for a long time. Um, so, Lynn, thanks so much for coming on, talking about what's happened at the Juniper Tree Meadery. Um, for those of you who are still listening, thanks for tuning in. If you've not already done so, please go check us out at iTunes, Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this at. If you can give us a five-star rating, please do that. That helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people living here in Paragould. Also, um, if you've not done this, we're on Facebook. Go give us a follow or a like. Uh, we're on Instagram. Uh, i got a website, paragouldpodcast.com. You can check that out if that interests you. So as always, thanks so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>